as Brother Todd was sharing and praying there, it was um, hard not to see some of those brothers and sisters that we have at least met and had conversations with who serve in some of those places. Um, think about them and their children and their churches and the persecution that they face daily, the risk of their lives. Um, and then I thought as I sit there, man, the title of today's message, Against All Hope. Against All Hope. Those are the three words that the Apostle Paul uses to describe Abraham and Sarah's life. Against all hope. Against all hope is a refrain that rings true from the moment we met Abraham and Sarah back, known then as Abram and Sarah, in Genesis chapter 11. Against all hope is the refrain that we feel from the words of Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, when we heard that Sarah was barren. She had no children. It's a heartache that we have now walked with with Abraham and Sarah for almost 10 chapters. Hearing again and again God's promise, but now we've been 25 years waiting on the promise. 25 years, brothers and sisters. And therefore the Apostle Paul will say to us in Romans chapter 4 and verse 18, Against all hope, Abraham in hope. Believe, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. I wonder this morning, do you feel like you are living in a time and place in your life that it feels like it is against all hope? Have you given up hope in the promises of God? Have you given up hope that God's mercy could be extended to you, that you could be forgiven of what you have done? Have you given up hope this morning that one day the everlasting God will make all things right and new? If so, today's text comes to us and reminds us to keep living by faith because God is your living hope. Keep living by faith because God is our living hope. Today's text comes to us in seemingly three different stories or moments of the different story of Abraham and Sarah's life. And in those moments, we are reminded, don't lose hope. Why? Because God is faithful. Don't lose hope because God is merciful. Finally, don't lose hope because the Lord is the everlasting God. And so let's look now to these truths as we walk through the story of Genesis 21. Again, that refrain, against all hope, how Abraham, and I might scratch that out and just say, how God compels us to keep the faith. Turn to the wood, Genesis chapter 21, as we hear this first truth in the first seven verses, don't lose hope, God is faithful. Hear that again. Don't lose hope, God is faithful faithful the text picks up in verse one and says the lord visited sarah as he had said and the lord did to sarah as he had promised and sarah conceived and bore abraham a son in his old age at the time of which god had spoken to him abraham called the name of his son who was born to him who sarah bore him isaac and abraham circumcised his son isaac when he was eight days old as god had commanded him abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son 
in his old age. Now, being honest, in some ways, as much as we've been waiting for this story, it almost feels like Moses tells it in some sense anticlimactically. Like we would expect, right? I mean, if we're watching a movie, like you've got this 90-year-old woman who's, who's giving birth to a child and she's never had children. And you might see this man who's 100 sitting there all wrinkled up and old looking. And out comes this baby. I mean, you would see and you might hear and think all those details. And we hear a little bit of that, but Moses doesn't necessarily give us those type of details. But he does give us something else. I think Moses wants us to see something else that happened three times in the opening two verses. Look at your attention to again, back to verse 1 and 2. Hear it again. It says, the Lord visited Sarah. Notice what it says here the first time, as he had said. Further, the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And then look at verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Three times. Moses wants us to see the greatness of this moment is the greatness of the reminder of God's faithfulness. In the midst of this story, he says, listen, as great it is that Sarah is 90 and Abraham is 100 and they've never been able to conceive and have children, don't miss. This is ultimately a testimony to God's great faithfulness. 25 years. And there was never a moment in those 25 years, Moses says, that God was not faithful to his promise. Friend, he won't be faith, faithless to you either. He will be faithful to all of his promises. They are yes and amen in Christ. But the Bible's also been real with us, hasn't it? That's one of the things I think I love about the Bible, the transparency so often of all the characters included. I mean, think about the ways that Abraham and Sarah have struggled. I mean, back in Genesis chapter 16, they believed there was no way. And so Sarah takes her, her servant, Hagar, and gives her to Abraham as a wife. And they come together and they have a son named Ishmael who we'll meet again in a moment. Or in Genesis chapter 18, those three visitors showed up there and they made the meal. And remember, the Lord says, hey, listen, about this time next year, Sarah's going to have a child. And she was in the tent. And what'd she do? Do you remember? She laughed, didn't she? And the Lord had to ask her, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then we saw in Genesis chapter 12 when they went to Egypt with Pharaoh and last week in Genesis chapter 20 with King Abimelech that Abraham and Sarah had some doubts. And so therefore they lied and their fib or however you want to define it and said that Abraham and Sarah were actually brother and sister. There's been these moments throughout where Abraham and Sarah have failed to remain faithful to God, yet God has remained faithful to his promises. Likewise, when we fail to be found faithful, God has always remained faithful to us. Amen? What good news this morning. Therefore, Isaac comes, the son of the promise he's born. And, and listen, it is absolutely compelling that Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90. But even more so, they've never had children before this moment. This is a moment that is against all hope. It's God who's demonstrating that even out of the place of least likeliness, maybe a place we might even define as death, God can bring life. He can bring life. But notice here, again, back in verse 1, there's an important statement that's made that much of the Old Testament will grab onto this statement and come back to it again and again. And in fact, it's even going to find its way in the New Testament, as we'll see in a moment. Look what it is. It's the opening words of verse 1 of Genesis chapter 21. And it just simply says this, the Lord visited. That word visited is going to begin used again and again as a reminder to God's people that when they hear it, their mind is going to go back and think, okay, I know what that looks like. 
that in the most hopeless of situations, when it seemed impossible for Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah to have a child, God delivered. So therefore, in Exodus chapter 3, in that epic moment at the burning bush, when God shows up, guess what happens in verse 16? The Lord says, I've seen my people's slavery. I've seen the 400 years of Egyptian bondage. And the Lord has come to visit his people. It was a reminder, a frame back to this moment to say, God has always been faithful, even in the midst of our heartaches and suffering. The Lord sees and knows. But again, that word doesn't just show up in, in the Old Testament. It also shows up in the New. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, who's the father of John the Baptist, right? They've had a child in their old age, and, and there's this great excitement. And then John says this, or Zechariah says this, prophesying in Luke chapter 1. As he looks forward not only to his own son, but to the coming Messiah, to the Christ. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall, notice what it says here, visit us from on high. He says, listen, guys, we hear this word visit all the way back in Genesis chapter 21 when it seemed so bleak that Abraham and Sarah could ever have a child. But I want you to know that there's a greater darkness than even a barren womb. And it's the darkness of your my sin. And that into that darkness, God so loved the world that he sends his only begotten son. His son comes to visit us and lives a sinless life and goes to the cross, dying in our place, suffering our judgment, and is raised again. God is saying to his people, listen, there is a God who can do for Sarah and he can do it for you. He can turn your sadness into laughter. He can turn your tears into joy forevermore. I think Isaac's birth, though, in some way should cause all of us to stop and ask, how does God's faithfulness spur on my own faith? Or how does God's faithfulness motivate us to not lose hope? For some couples here today, this might be a reminder. Listen, we can't give up trying to have children. We can't throw in the towel on that. We need to keep praying and we need to ask others in the church, would you pray for us? We desire to have a child. Would you pray that God might visit us? For others, when you struggle with feeling alone or as if there's no more hope, remember that Christ came and ascended back to the Father. And guess what? He poured out the Holy Spirit. And that's why he said, listen, it's actually going to be good that I go away. For if I go away, unless I go away, the Helper cannot come. In other words, there was going to be something greater than just simply Christ with us. It was going to be Christ in us. By the power of the Holy Spirit so this morning, if you are feeling alone and forgotten, don't forget, beloved. If you feel downtrodden or maybe you're feeling hopeless and needing of answers or clarity, the Word of God says that God is here. He is not far off or removed from us. The Lord has come near to us and dwelt among us through the blood of His Son. And now the Spirit of God that indwells us. Isaac's story is a reminder that God is faithful. So don't lose hope. The story now pivots and it, it focuses on another son. In some way, there's this seemingly the tale of two sons happening in Genesis chapter 21. But what's interesting is the first son brings laughter while the other son is crying. The first son brings joy, but the second son brings jealousy. The first son Isaac is brought in while the other son Ishmael is going to be cast out. Turn if you would, Genesis chapter 21 there. But look at verses 8 through 21. Hearing this refrain, don't lose hope, God is merciful. Don't lose hope, God is merciful. 
The text begins in verse 8. says, And the child grew and was weaned. Speaking of Isaac. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. This is Ishmael. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the very thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Isaac was likely weaned around the ages of three years old. And we have this moment, right, where Sarah looks over and she notices that, that Ishmael is laughing. Now, likely, if you're looking at your biblical text there, you're probably going to have some type of footnote next to the word laughing, some type of number probably. And if you look down, it's probably going to have some word like this, some laughing and mockery. There's some indication like something's happening here. This laughing isn't just like, oh, man, I'm laughing. It's a great party, right? I mean, we know that, don't we? There's moments when we can laugh with people and, man, we're laughing. But there's also moments when we can laugh and it's a different feel, right? The people are laughing at you or looking down on you or there's some sense of disdain. And that seems to be what the text is indicating. In fact, Paul makes it emphatic in Galatians chapter 4. He looks back on this moment. Listen to what he says. Verse 29 to 31. But just as it, at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael. Notice what he says here. He persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So Paul looks back at this moment. He says, listen, this was a moment when Ishmael isn't just simply laughing, but he's actually persecuting. There's some sense in which he looks at this one and says, oh, you're going to inherit my promises? Oh, you're the one that's going to come and take my place. Yeah, right. But Paul says, listen, this is more than just a family squabble. It's pointing us to something greater. He says that Isaac is, again, there in Galatians 4 and 29, he's one that's born according to the Spirit. And he's looking forward to one that, guess what's going to come? He's going to look forward to the Gentiles who aren't coming to God in their own strength, but coming by grace through the Spirit. On the other hand, he says, listen, there's also Ishmael who is born, notice what he says there, according to the flesh. So again, you have according to the flesh, according to the Spirit. There, there's a war between the flesh and the Spirit. And so Ishmael is like one who comes like the Jewish people who think they can come to God in their own strength and their own good works, their own righteousness. And I think that's a moment we ought to pause, shouldn't we? Because the reality is there's only really two ways to heaven. That's what Paul's getting at. You can either come to God in the way of Isaac, in your own strength, by your own flesh, by your own good works, and you're going to think that you're going to somehow be good enough that God's going to let you in. You've done more good than you've done bad, and you're waiting on that to tip the scales. Paul says, if that's you, notice what he says there. He says, the truth is that you will be, guess what? Cast out. Cast out from the presence of the Lord and cast out into hell for all eternity. But there's another way. And the other way is the way of Isaac. It's the way the Spirit, it's the way of grace. It's a way in which you realize that you, just like Abraham and Sarah, did not have the strength to make themselves become pregnant. They had to rest and rely upon God. Beloved, that's the way of Christ. That's the way of grace and mercy. When you look not unto yourself, but you look to Christ, who is your sufficiency. That is what Paul is pointing to. And he's saying, listen, there's this tension happening between Isaac and Ishmael. It's a battle of the flesh and a battle of the Spirit. And so this moment here, I compel you, listen, don't despise this way of grace. Don't turn up your nose at the way of Isaac, the way of the, of the Spirit, the way of grace and mercy. 
Do what Ishmael failed to do. Humble yourself and look and confess, I have a need of a Savior. I have need of redemption. I have need of forgiveness of my sins for my own righteousness. My own good works are like filthy rags in the presence of the Lord. But interestingly enough, Isaac's or Ishmael's actions move Sarah from joy to jealousy. Abraham is not happy that she wants to cast out this her Abraham's son Ishmael, and there's this inner turmoil. But the Lord comes. Look at it says again, verse eleven. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. He's distraught. He loves Ishmael. God comes to him, maybe presumably in a dream. We're not told, but. God comes to Abraham and says to him, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also. He says, listen, Ishmael is going to be a great nation as well because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Abraham's struggling, right? He loves his son. But the Lord says, listen, I'm going to still make a great nation of Ishmael. But the promise, the way of grace, the way of the Spirit is coming through Isaac. Isaac's life and his birth is a testimony of the fact that you and I are in desperate need of God's grace and mercy to rescue and redeem us. In fact, in Genesis chapter 16, verse 12, we were already told that, guess what? Ishmael was going to be this wild donkey of a man. It said his hand was always going to be against his kinsmen, his kinsmen's hands against him. He was always going to be a man at war. And so we see it here early on. Ishmael and Isaac, already Isaac as this young child just being weaned. There is tension and fighting already happening as the Lord had promised. But again... The Lord's promise and His faithfulness to Abraham is extending to Ishmael. And He says, listen, He's going to be a great nation as well. And the reason is because He's your offspring. So Abraham again goes in the next morning early on and saddles them up and sends them off. We can imagine it's a moment of great heartache, but in some way it's already preparing us for what's going to come in Genesis 22. There's going to be another early in the morning with another son and a great demand of God. This one happens when the water. So so Hagar and Ishmael head out into the desert. It says when the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And the, God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand. For I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So the story unfolds as they go out in the wilderness is that their water runs out, and, and we know that from this area that they're in, that there's little to no wells. And this place is they're there. Listen, she, she sets her son and sends him off in a distance, and she withdraws because she can't sit there and literally watch her son die of thirst. 
in that moment, she's crying out. But even though the text doesn't record it, the boy is obviously crying out as well. Why? Because the Lord says he's heard the cry of the boy. Notice that. And God heard the voice of the boy, which is in some way a play on Ishmael's name. Even his name's not being mentioned. His name means God hears. And so the Lord hears the voice of the boy. And listen what he says to Hagar. What troubles you, Hagar? Like, Hagar, have you forgot Genesis 16? You've been on the run before, Hagar. Do you remember who I was? I was the God who saw you. Do you forget? Have you forgotten that? Sarah was mad and you, 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 she sent you out and you went running because you were pregnant. Maybe you today. You've forgotten where the Lord's brought you from. Maybe it's a good reminder this morning to remember the wilderness moments of your life, the moments of struggle, to remember what God's done for you. To remember, great is thy faithfulness. And he says to her, listen, I, I, I'm, Hagar, don't, don't be afraid. Verse 17 there. For God has heard the voice of the boy of where he is. And again, he says, for, he says, I'm going to make him into a great nation in verse 18. In this moment of hopeless despair comes the one whom Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. Hear that again. There's a God who comes to comfort her. And how does he show her mercy? I think one is a reminder of the promise there in verse 18. Listen, I'm going to make you into a great nation. But the other is practical. Look what that he says. Verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and guess what she sees? The well of water. So the Lord, guess what? He comes and yes, delivers on the promise, but he also in the practical. I think it's a moment of hope for us. That although Hagar and Ishmael are separated from the family of Abraham, they are not separated from the mercy of God. I don't know where you are today or where you've been. You may feel like it's too far or too hopeless for you. I want you to know that wherever you are, the mercy of God can reach there. Hear it anew this morning. Wherever you are today, wherever you've been this week, Whatever you've gone through in your life, it may feel hopeless and beyond despair. You may feel like your life is over, it's dried up. I want you to know today, from the Word of God, that the mercy of God can reach you. You're not too far gone. Might this also be a reminder to us as a church? This is part of what we do. We want to share the promises, but also the practical. It's why we see, right, part of our benevolence ministry, they're... they're as you give each week, you're providing money so that we can help people here in Greene County who need food or need some place to shelter or they need utilities to help be paid. So, But as we meet those practical needs, we also have brothers and sisters that are in that room sharing the hope of the promise. It's not just one or the other, right? It's both being here together just as the Lord does. It reminds us that as we treasure the promises of God here, that Jesus loves the little children. And we, we treasure the promise that, that God has fearfully and wonderfully made us in His own image. We're thankful for those promises. But those promises also move us to the practical. That's why, guess what? On November 8th, we're going to show up and vote yes to Amendment 2. Because we're people that are driven by the promises to respond in the practical. God moves us to act upon those things. But before we leave this section, maybe we should just ask, How does the mercy of God spur us to not give up hope? Perhaps this morning, because of your sin or skepticism, you might whisper, I don't deserve to be a part of God's family. I don't deserve it. Hear anew this morning 
God shouting through this story. Though your sins are many, my mercy is more. It's the hope of God right here, beloved. So God says to us and shows us through Genesis 21 so far, don't lose hope because God is faithful. Secondly, don't lose hope because God is merciful. And third and last, don't lose hope because God is everlasting. Genesis 21 closes with some story in some way feels a little bit odd or out of place. A lot of this week I was just wrestling like, Man, Lord, I don't necessarily see how this fits with the other. Like, why did Moses, he just need a filler? Or Like, why does he include this story? And we know that every scripture, every word of God is there by the Spirit of God, God's divine intention. It is not there by mistake or accident. And so I wrestled with it. And then I began, the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, began just to reveal some truth. And what we see there is, again, don't lose hope. God is everlasting. Look what happens, beginning in verse 22. It says, at that time, Abimelech, or Abimelech, and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Isn't it remarkable that what Abraham often doubts, this foreign pagan king recognizes? No, so he says, verse 22, God is what? He's with you. God's with you in all that you do. And so again, he he affirms him that, but he also reaffirms him what? Look what he says, verse 23. Now therefore swear to me, hear by God, that you will not deal falsely with me or with, notice what he says, my descendants or with my posterity. He says, listen, this God who's with you now, he's going to be with your people in the future. He has this hope. Abimelech does, right, of of God who is at work in Abraham. It's a reminder that in Abraham all the nations will be blessed for those who bless him. But for those who curse him, they will be cursed. Here it is, the blessing of God coming through Abraham, being this mediator of God's blessing to the nations. Now they're going to go and they're going to argue over this well in verses 25 to 32 and Ultimately, they'll make this treaty, this covenant there that, listen, Abraham says, listen, this is the well that I dug by my own hand. And again, they're in the place of Beersheba, which we know is, is a place, again, with, similar to earlier with the story of Hagar and Ishmael. There's not much water there, so it was extremely valuable. But the, the, the claiming of the water is a declaration, guess what, that God's promise is coming true. God has promised, guess what, to give Abraham descendants. And in Genesis 21, that fullness of that promise is being revealed through Isaac. But God's also promised to give him a land. And now through this well, this moment, this this seemingly maybe insignificant moment to us, this water source is a declaration that, guess what, God says, I will give you the land. And the story closes in verses 33 and 34. Look what it says here. Abraham planted a Tamaris tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord. That's what he calls him, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. In the midst of all that Abraham has faced and will face in the future, we might wonder, what is his hope? His hope is that God is the everlasting God. You see, my guess is that for some of you, as you are starting to age, you're starting to look and think about your posterity. Your descendants. What will happen with them when you're gone? Will your children or grandchildren or others, will they continue to walk in the face, in the faith? 
you wonder, maybe consider, where will this church go? Will it continue to abide and walk faithfully in the presence of the Lord and the truth of His Word? Into that moment, guess what? There's a reminder that the everlasting God is the God who was with Abraham and would be with His descendants. In other words, there's not a sunrise that you and I have met or a sunset that we will encounter that God will not be with us, beloved. He is the everlasting God. So what was true for Abraham will be true for Isaac and will be true for all of those who walk in faithful obedience to the Word of God. Our God is faithful. He's the everlasting God. And we know it in an even greater way than just these words here. For it was our Lord and Savior who said unto us after giving the Great Commission in Matthew 28, He says in verse 20, And surely I will be with you, what? Always, to the very what? end of the age, the end of the days. He promises, I will be with you forever. But I do think it's interesting, right, that Abraham, he plants this tree. Right, we know that planting a tree, guess what, it's not going to like grow up or spring up in a few weeks or a few months. I mean, like this is a long, long process of planting a tree and it growing. And maybe Abraham just needed a reminder of that. And maybe we do too. It had been 25 years waiting on Isaac. It had been 25 years waiting on this land and things to come, and things were coming really, really slowly. Almost seems like as a tree might grow. But in the midst of that, God is still faithful. And maybe Abraham's planting this tree is a reminder again that there's, there's different things here about worship and things happening in the text, right? But maybe in some way it's just a reminder that God is faithful and we need a, transform, a transformation in our perspective. So often we're focused on the here and now, what's right in front of us, that we need to step back and watch the trees grow. Notice the change that's happening. I don't know if you, you've encountered that. Maybe somewhere you were as a child and you've gone back and you're like, whoa, look at these trees, man. I, I remember that, just golf and, and playing. There, there was a place, man, you could just absolutely rear back and just rip your driver right at the green. And now those trees, man, they are grown up and you cannot go that way anymore. Time has changed things. It looks different now. This tree is a reminder, listen, of God's faithfulness. And beloved, as God's people, we must have an eternal perspective. We so often get caught in the day-to-day, the moment after moment, but we need to remind ourselves that God is the everlasting God. He endures forever and ever. And because of that, He is going to be with us and we are going to be His people. He's not going to quit. He's not going to grow weary. He's not going to give up. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to be like us and throw some kind of temper tantrum and throw in the towel. No, He's not going to be scared off by us. He is the everlasting God. And so you and I this morning can stop and rest we don't have to lose hope because our God will be with us. And guess what? If we stop, step off the scene this afternoon, He'll still be with our, our family. Do you, are you resting in that? If not, man, you, you can live a suffocating life, a, a life where you're trying to grip and grab everything and hold on to it for all it's worth. But if you see in my, your and my mortality through the lens of Scripture, we can either grow with despair or we can have joy that our God is the everlasting God. To the unbeliever this morning, as we've been discussing hope, I wonder where is your hope? The New City Catechism, it looks back on several of these old ancient scripts that were written and confessions that were made throughout history. And it asks this question. This is the first question in it. 
And it asks this, what is our only hope in life and death? How would you answer that? What is our only hope? We're talking about hope all day. What is our only hope in life and death? And the answer comes here, that we are not our own, but belong to God. Body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, because God has sent His only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He, by grace, through faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has adopted us into His family, what kind of life should we live? Lives of gratitude and thankfulness. Lives of humility. Lives that are transformed, no longer living for ourselves, but living for the Lord. Desiring to love our neighbor as ourself. This is the hope and peace that is the people of God. So I ask you, non-believer today, will you follow the way of Ishmael? The way of depending upon your own good works and your own strength to get you there? It has a fool's end. A foolish end. As the Word of God says, there's a way that seems right to a man or woman, but at the end it leads unto death. The way of works will lead you to death. But there is a narrow way. There is a narrow gate. And Jesus says there's actually only a few who will find it. Beloved, that narrow gate is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. It is the way of Isaac. It is the way not of works, but of the Spirit. It is by grace and not by grit. It is by mercy and not by merit. It is the way of the everlasting God to His eternal glory. Which path are you on? Your eternity depends upon it. Your hope this morning depends upon it. To the church. Don't lose hope. You have a God who is faithful. He's committed to you no matter what has come or will come. Even, even when. Might I say especially when, when our commitment wanes or we grow weak in our faith, the Lord still remains faithful. Hallelujah. Here again, John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus himself says that you are in his hand and you're also in the Father's hand who is greater than all and no one can snatch you out. Rest this morning. Secondly, to the church, don't lose hope because your God is merciful. He always treats us far better than we deserve. Our sin, yes, it is wicked and evil, and we are to repent, as our brother shows this morning, and cry out that we might obtain mercy. But, beloved, we deserve the the judgment and damnation of God, but instead He has washed us in His mercy and brings us continually back unto Himself. Here, afresh and anew, children of God, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love that is not dependent upon your performance. Rest in Him. Thirdly, to the church, don't lose hope. You have a God again who is everlasting Despite how things may appear in your life or the struggles that you are facing in your job or in your family, don't lose hope. Keep waiting on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. As you have fears and anxieties about what's going to happen with your family when you leave or you're gone or what would happen if you died today, you and I are not God. We may very well do that thing this day. Rest in the everlasting God. And that's exactly what we're going to sing this morning as we close. We're going to sing the words that we learned last week that are based upon Psalm 130. Singing that we will wait for you. That's 25 years of waiting our story today. There's a lot of waiting. But Abraham, guess what? Even though the promises come, he's still waiting. 
And even though the promises come, there's still all kinds of havoc in his family. They're fighting and arguing and problems. Just because you're God's child today does not mean that everything will be unicorns and rainbows. But, beloved, our God is faithful, and so, therefore, we're going to sing, We will wait for you, and on your word we will rely. That will be our trust. That will be our confidence. It is Christ alone. Be encouraged, beloved, and don't lose hope. Our God is faithful. He is merciful. And he is everlasting. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come giving you thanks today that you are the everlasting God. Thank you that you have made a way for us when there seems to be no way. Father, I pray this morning, Father, for Zacchaeus, maybe who was here, and they feel like they're hiding in a tree. Father, we pray for those who are beside us and around us. We have no idea the amount of courage it may have taken for them to stand to arrive here and sit in that pew this morning. And so therefore we pray to you on their behalf, thanking you that there is hope for whatever they face, and it is in the name of Christ. And Lord, we plead with you on their behalf that you would draw near to them and compel and urge them, Lord, by the power of your Spirit and the truth of your Word to come to Christ. Thank you, God, that you've given us your Word this morning, that I am not relying upon my own thoughts or my own charisma But, Lord, we have the everlasting Word of God. And, Lord, Your Word says, as Solomon dedicated the temple, not one of Your promises has ever failed. Not one. And so, Lord, we thank You that Your Word is always true. It is always sufficient. And we give You thanks and glory, Lord. And I pray today that You have used it to strengthen the children of God. And You have called those who are not Your children and used it to bring them unto repentance. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. We encourage you to stand and sing.